over a decade of experience in video games, and all he has to show for it is this stupid podcast. It's Behind the Line Radio, with your host, Kinetic, and it starts now. Hello everyone and welcome to Behind the Line Radio, where we're here to give you an insight behind the production line of the entertainment uh, you and I and we all enjoy. Uh, interesting bit in the news recently, Activision went out of their way, oh, I, I suppose it's not exactly out of their way, but it kind of looks out of their way, and purchased Major League Gaming, the eSports outfit. There was a... Uh, well, it wasn't exactly a huge splash that this news made, but uh, it... it bodes some interesting things for the future. I mean, first of all, it, it's a little interesting that um, this happened pretty close on the heels of Activision buying King. And I wrote about that in, in uh, an article earlier, um, thinking that they were using King to help get, uh, I suppose you could say, a beachhead in, well, not a beachhead, I'm talking all around myself today, but to get a bit more of an injection of expertise in the free-to-play and mobile space, which would probably serve most first to help Hearthstone. Now, that was a huge deal. I forget the number. I want to say it was like $5 billion with a B, something. It was huge. And comparatively, they bought Major League Gaming for, what was it, $40 million or something like that, a far smaller deal. But... This news strikes me as particularly interesting because one of the stated goals is to try to get esports on standard broadcast television. And this is where some of the splash comes in. Because some of the commenters online read into this and think that, well, this looks like it's Activision trying to do something like, oh, shoehorn their way in, like they're going to buy the organization to make Call of Duty something that show, that that is competed on and advertised for it. Or a lot of people who watch eSports do it on streams already, so this is just throwing money away. I'm not exactly sure I see it that way, but we're going to get into that later. Right now I'm going to introduce my guest for this week, who has some competitive gaming experience in his own right and has watched various streams. Personally, I've watched very, very little, and I'm, and we're going to go into why. But uh, my guest this week is uh, DJ. DJ, how are you doing this week? Hey, what's up, Nick? How are you doing? Thanks for having me on, man. Hey, um, so why don't we start with just giving, um, explaining a little bit of your personal experience as a competitive player. <laughs> All right, sure thing. So uh, I've been paying attention to Evolution Fighting for a while, and that's the Evolution Fighting Game Championship Series. Uh, that's been going on strong for just over 10 years now, uh, most famously noted for the Evo Moment 37, which many people have seen, uh, where Daigo, the infamous Daigo parries all of Justin Wong's um, Chun-Li Super. Yeah, and that was in was Street Fighter 3. In Street Fighter 3, yes, yes. Um, so, of course, that grabbed a lot, a lot of my attention, and I became a pretty, pretty big Street Fighter Three fan, and uh, still today, that's my favorite game to go to. That's my default thing to sit on, and uh, I love that game. But uh, anyways, I decided to start getting competitive. I've been playing fighting games pretty seriously in my little clique of friends, I'm sure, as most people have growing up in the 90s with no internet, um, and I was always kind of the top of the top of my group, and I uh, wanted to 
put myself out there and see, you know, what I can do with my ability and my skills. And I've, I mean, I've been a gamer for a long time and I thought, uh, and I have a, I'd have a chance to actually see if I can get somewhere. And then comes the internet and the internet just wiped the board completely clean. And now I feel like the playing level is very, very open and level for everybody. I mean, it changed, it changed the entire industry. I don't want, we can get into that later, but, um, so anyways, as far as Evolution fighting game series goes, I've, I've gone for uh, three years now, and uh, I've actually gotten pretty far in my pools this current year in 2015 in Street Fighter IV. Um, just going to throw this out there. I have a, a, a rank 100 Blanco on Steam. <laughs> pretty mean. <laughs> pretty mean. He's not a, not a top-tier character, and a lot of people would call him rubbish. But, hey, you know, I do my best to uh, stay gimmicky. But anyways, long story short... Um, very interested in competitive fighting games. I follow it avidly. I have uh, the top 32 of the best Street Fighter players in my memory. I know exactly who they are, and I follow mm. them pretty thoroughly. Interesting. Yeah. So you're you're pretty you're one of the very engaged. You're the one of the ones who knows all the people, all the players, all their the characters of the players. Which isn't to say that the characters they play in game, but their personalities and so forth. Definitely. How how some car guys would know people by their car. I know people by their Street Fighter character, and some people own these Street Fighter characters, and we know who they belong to in the community. It's funny. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I've I've known I've known a couple other people who have either competed or started competing. Um, and you said you started before, like internet play, like online versus matches. Oh yeah. So, so we're, was this? We're like uh, back in the day, they had those blockbuster tournaments. Oh man! Unfortunately, if uh, if I had an older brother, he would have been the arcade guy, as I would have been the guy that got a Sega Genesis at year three, and uh, and I really didn't spend that much time in the arcade. And I grew up a pad player, but we're talking about just you know my group of friends sitting around a home console and passing the controller around, and me trying to go off to other groups and seeing if I could beat other groups of friends. And uh, I mean, it was. It was old school, man. I mean, that's a concept a lot of, I don't think, new gamers are really going to understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, a, just speaking less about esports here and more about just competitive gameplay, uh, I remember back in the arcades, there were points where, you know, you'd have that one guy at the Street Fighter machine or the Mortal Kombat machine, and he would just be there, and he has like 100-plus wins, and no one knows how to deal with it. Or they have those cabinets that are set up to be spectator cabinets because they have a second monitor strapped up above the machine so that everyone gathered around can watch. Right, right. So I, I, I suppose that's that's kind of the origin of looking at this as a spectator sport. Sure, sure. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I, you know, what's funny is uh, is I find a lot of I find it interesting to watch as a spectator sport. I mean, I'm totally involved in it, and and I feel like. Uh, I guess a nerdy jock, if you will, because I, mean, I feel the same way about this as some people will be watching, you know, the 49ers and the Raiders, you know, um, and it, it's, it's amazing. And I, and I'm and totally, totally interested. And I know a lot of people that are with me, um, that I follow in gaming are also just totally into this and streaming. And, and honestly, it's, it's probably going to take over, man. I think it is the future of, of sports. And I, I hate throwing around the word esports because it seems like a, you know, off the cuff kind of like, fire word right now but you know i i think it's going to be a thing and if you 
I'm sorry, you got me rambling, but if you look at South, <laughs> South Korea right now, it's like, that's, that's what's to come, you know? They have stadiums built around this. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we, have, we have Twitch, which is great. Um, Twitch is, is awesome, and it's totally a North American thing. And uh, uh, just to kind of make a quick transition, sorry if I'm getting a little too ahead of hey, myself. Hey, go for it, man. All right, so uh, just recently, we just seen the first uh, co-op cup, which is the world's biggest Street Fighter Three championship, and that's in Japan. This year was the biggest year of all. We're talking on a game that's almost 12 years old at this point, and uh, it was it was thriving. And I'm sure, as well as you know, major uh, what is it? Um, uh, God, I forgot the, the Tekken. Uh, cup that just happened. Oh, the Master Series. The Master Series just passed, and that was bigger than ever. Um, huh. A lot of these, a lot of these, uh, take place in Japan. But we actually seen for the first time in the Co-op Cup at 4 a.m. in the morning that it was live and thriving. There was there was North American viewers. There was European users, Japan users. Um, Twitch is really really ramping up in in its scale and how much people are viewing this stuff. Interesting. Yeah, you'd think I play Tekken a bunch and you'd think that I would know the name of the Tekken tournament and know the best players. But you know what? I don't. Um, And uh, I think I think one of the reasons here is there's a whole bunch of people who watch it and they're really engaged. And I'm someone who I really know Tekken. I know Tekken very well, particularly I'm a King player. I know King really well. I mean, I've been playing it since Tekken 1. I, I know all the differences in the game engines and so forth. There's a lot of people who play Tekken pretty pretty uh, fiercely and don't understand, um, say, the difference between Tekken 2 and 3, which was where they introduced the sidestep and made the floaty jumps go away, by the way. Um, but uh, for me, as a spectator... I have a lot of trouble getting into watching these tournaments because they're not presented in a way that's really spectator-friendly. So I think the current presentation has a bit of a cap on it because while there are a lot of people who are very engaged and you can have very high stakes, uh, you know, they have million-dollar prizes in MOBA tournaments and and so forth, and, uh, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars for prizes in other tournaments. And people can legitimately make livings doing that with this. And that's great. You know, and, and people enjoy it and watching you get sponsorships and people see value in it. It's all good. The, but, the thing about it... Okay, go ahead, go ahead. But for me, as, as a viewer, I see myself as a potential audience and the presentation itself doesn't lend itself to how I would want to be able to watch it. So I'm wondering how many people are in the same boat I'm in? How many people would want to be users or an audience who is engaged in this way who are put off by the current form of presentation? Sure, fair enough. I I would agree that we are definitely still in the infancy of this. Um, I went to Evo and Capcom Cup last year, and the difference between last year and this year, and I'm sorry, speaking of 2014 and 15. The difference was monumental. Just so. the uh, the population of people that are coming to these things, and not just the population, but the prizes. And I'm can I can only imagine that next year it's going to be even crazier. Um, so you mean like in terms of raw number of the people who are attending and competing? Absolutely. So you had to go up to your you, you, you had 
from 12 to 12.30, you have to check in to your post and make sure that you're there on time to fight your guy. There were so many DQs, disqualifications this year, because so many people couldn't get through the crowds to get to their spot to play their game, because there's so many people hovering around everyone else's shoulders just to watch the, the games fight. And the, spec the spectator sport of this is getting humongous. And we're not just talking about the population going to these events. We're talking about the screens and the, and the tech and the, and the resources put into this type of stuff to make this even bigger. And it's, it's blowing me away. I can't imagine what the next two or three years is going to have in store just by judging, you know, the differences between this and last year. It's mm. pretty phenomenal. Interesting. So it sounds like there there was a lot of logistic like if there was DQs because players couldn't get through the crowd that sounds like a pretty significant logistical problem like the players yeah. were in the crowd was that correct Yes yeah instead of being sort of sectioned off in like a green room or a <laughs> a, a locker room type situation Totally uh, totally yeah. but um, I mean, because you got you have these guys, holding, staff members, holding up signs and yelling with just their voice, you know, like, Dwayne Varves, where are you at? Your fight's right now. And it's, like, so loud in there that you can't even find the guy. And if you're not using the app to help you locate your spot and have your time, I mean, you're you're really roughing it. <laughs> yeah. To honest truth. So, it so, yeah, it sounds like... Um... It actually expanded faster than those organizers anticipated, and they're, they're, we'll, we'll see how it happens next year if it continues to expand and the logistics will improve, because that, that actually sounds like a very solvable problem to me. Absolutely. I, I just think most of the problem was just unexpected. I mean, at the same time, though, do you think they would have been really hardcore about that rule if, for example, Daigo got waylaid and couldn't get to his post in time? Would he have been DQ'd? <laughs> Well, taking somebody that's been uh, through Capcom Cup, I mean, they're definitely not going to DQ Daigo. Um, right. But what you're looking at as something like Evolution Fighting Championship Series, you get to be Joe Schmo, you get to be yourself, and you get to go see if you can fight these top-name guys or, or these guys and see if you can make it through your pools. I mean, the problem is you have about, geez, I, I forgot what the numbers were last year, but I want to say they were close to like 10,000 signups you know so how do you get mm -hmm. through that in a weekend in las vegas you're well, gonna have to dq people <laughs> i i think that one way you could do that too is to have a cap on how many people go to the big show you might mm -hmm. say and have say evo regionals qualifying rounds that might yeah happen. yeah yeah so you split they, it up a little they definitely have that um there is a an entire array of tournaments that are around, uh, let's say, North America, and they, they have regionals everywhere, and people do attend those. The problem is people attend everything, and everyone wants to attend EVO. EVO is held in Las Vegas, and it's the number one fighting game championship of the world, and everyone wants a piece of that cake. Oh, yeah. Capcom Cup might be something similar to what you're talking about, and that's an invite, almost invite-only or a point accumulation type of thing where you're only able to go if you acquire X amount of whatever, right? Yeah, well, um, okay, so so this is a learning experience for me here, this, this question and answer, because there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that I'm interested in, but I haven't, you know, it's not been too hard on my radar, so I don't know a whole bunch about it. But So what I kind of have in mind with this is uh, instead of like a point accumulation or something or, or having just smaller shows, but to have, you have Evo, the big show, and you have, like Evo Region One, Region Two, Region Three, like Northwest, Northeast, Southwest, Southeast yeah, type. Yeah. And if you do particularly well there, then you can 
uh, proceed to the the nationals, you might say. And so that could be, you know, like your division or something like that. And then you could have hell at that point. You could even have divisional rivalries. Well, see, the, I would say the issue with that is you're looking at the the FGC, the fighting game community as a whole, and really. Evo houses all of these games, and it is the fighting game capital of the world. So you have all of these games. We're talking two versions of Smash, Mortal Kombat, I mean, you name it, all these fighting games in one area. The, the, the situation in what you're speaking of is kind of like an, on the individual game basis, I, I feel. Mm, and it's, yeah. and, and, and yeah. Evo is sort of a different beast, you know what I mean? Well, okay, so... I mean, check it out. People go to Evo just just to go to the hotel parties and fight casuals until the sun comes up. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a culture. It's a, it's a, it's a all weekend live event. You know, it's massive. Right. It's a, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm a big yeah. fan, obviously. No, I mean, I, what, what I'm just thinking of is, is um, just to simply add a bit of structure and uh, uh, logistical sanity to the proceedings where, I mean, I, each, if regionals like this were to happen, then it would be each game would be in these regional things. So it wouldn't be, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, well, exactly how this idea would translate. I don't even know. I'm just kind of shooting from the hips from what seems reasonable to me. No, what really what you're looking at is what this is going to turn into in the future. Um, we have Evo because let's just face it. The past 10 years of fighting games were quiet. It's a very niche crowd, and if you want to get a large majority of people to attend a thing, you're going to have to invite everybody. Yeah. And it's going to get to that point where um, it's going to get so big that you're going to have to separate this idea. And, you know, it, that, it's kind of like if you were going to say all sports are going to go on in one stadium. So you're going to have oh, football, yeah. baseball, basketball, a big event that houses all these things. And that really, would be the fighting, Olympics. Sure. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and the Olympics have qualifiers, so and uh, uh, national regions and so forth. But yeah, okay. it's, it's not the same. But it 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 sounds interesting that uh, the the big show Evo, like the the grand the the grand stage to rule them all, um, mm. is is at that point where instead of being forced to be the one thing that people can get together to hit a, enough of a critical mass to make it an event is now starting to outgrow it being the only one. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But, uh, of course, this whole concept isn't limited to just fighting games. There's yeah. all kinds of other stuff, and it's actually becoming a bit of a trend to try to make games something that could be looked at as an eSport. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned yeah. I mentioned earlier uh, Hearthstone um, for be, because of the King and uh, Activision connection and everything. Uh, I suspect that there's going to be an effort to try to make that uh, a bit of an event uh, if it isn't already. Again, I don't pay enough attention uh, or have not had it marketed enough to suit my expectations as an audience to be able to pay attention. Um, but of course, there's also the 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 big kid on the block, which is the MOBAs, which have huge payouts and teams that they follow and, and announcers, all this stuff's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, and, uh, and then you got little quirky things that just work so well as something that you can watch as a spectator thing like Rocket League. I actually just played my first round of Rocket League today, and it's, it is a very effective distillation of 
video game tr- sport interaction because for the five people out there who are interested in video games that have not heard of Rocket League, um, it is essentially like RC Pro-Am soccer, like remote control car soccer, where you're driving the cars around, you try to hit this huge soccer ball and you hit it into the other person's goal. And there's some, like, the cars can jump and there's, like, booster things that go on, um, power slides and, and other things. And it has a very elegant interface and it's very easy to understand. You understand the rules is get the ball into the goal. It It is a video game that has rules that are as easy to translate as the basics of physical professional sports. Um, And it's easy to understand, easy to approach, easy to understand what you're looking at. And so I think it's actually a game that, whether or not it winds up as a significant e-sport, I think it is laying out a good groundwork for if you want to make a game to be an e-sport, these are some of the design rules you should follow. Hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, um, I well, I partially agree with you. Um, I feel like I feel like uh, Rocket League is a pretty basic game, and as I agree that it teaches you the fundamentals about gaming in general, and it's not difficult to understand. That's not necessarily what the engaged hardcore audience wants to wants to view. I mean, I wouldn't personally want to watch a Rocket League game unless maybe somebody's won a hundred championships in a row and he's the god, then I'd like to see that guy lose maybe. But yeah, that's not too interesting to me. Mm. You might be asking the wrong guy. Also. Oh, fair enough. Cause, cause I think, <laughs> I think you've, I think you've hit on uh, an interesting sort of schism in uh, in the concept of esports as spectator sports here, because when I'm talking about Rocket League as as an effective like distillation of sport, I'm again talking about this as a spectator sport that's approachable to a general audience is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And yeah. you could look at it, and especially if you had the game uh, set up in such a way that you had non-player cameras that could watch the action. And Rocket League is two versus two, but if you had, say, five versus five, and you could have a really frantic match and, and you know, uh, easy to identify the players and stuff, and it would look a lot like a physical professional sporting you know what? game. You know what? You Actually, you're very right about that. I didn't really take that into consideration. Um, one thing that people liked about, let's say, the game Counter-Strike, it was very easy to watch. You just pick your guy, your spectator, um, you pick the guy you want to watch, and you see what he does pretty mm-hmm. simple you don't have to worry about too many mechanics of the game you just watch and, and he does his thing and that's very interesting and i can see that being a interesting opener for people that want to get into viewing esports um i mean i gotta be honest with you man uh, i know games pretty well i still have no idea what's going on in league of legends <laughs> yeah it's uh and and uh you know first person shooters that's another type of game that it's pretty easy to understand the objective uh, unless you're in some very precise and touchy kind of game mode, you, some unique game mode. Generally, the idea is point the gun at the people who are not on your team and go bang until they <laughs> drop. Uh, yeah. And th- there could be other weird tricks like, um, I mean, it, it, you know, it, a deathmatch versus Unreal Tournament's football mode. 
you know, there's going to be different objectives going on and different Mm -hmm. things that can happen, but your general premise is going to be understandable. Yeah. And, and if you, as a spectator, if you can pick one person and follow them, maybe switch around, that's good. Uh, I am a fan of also being able to see like a spectator specific sort of overhead shot, like an, uh, uh, world map you might say it's not quite the right words but it, that's quite ambitious we're we're so far from it, from that spot i feel like but so close right um. well it's it's <laughs> i think i think to be able to appeal to a general audience and if you're going to design a game to be a spectator sport some of these things do need to be taken into consideration absolutely. at some point absolutely absolutely i couldn't tell you how many times that I looked up at the big monitors uh, over at Evo this year because everybody in the audience was yelling, and I'm like, replay, replay, show me the replay. So yeah, that yet. And, and that would you be know? good. Replays would be really good for fighting games. And fighting games are to, uh, um, ugh, tripping over my own words here. Um, <laughs> reset my thought pattern. Okay, uh, fighting games, during the tournaments, again, as a spectator sport concern, from what I've seen, most of the timing seems to be run by the players, the competitors themselves. They get up when they're done, they sit down when they're ready, they start the game when they're ready. Usually they go pretty fast, sometimes they'll slow down. There might be a little bit of mind games with the with the timing of when you say you're ready to start or something, but it's done entirely on the player's schedule effectively. And Absolutely. that doesn't exactly lend itself to again, being a spectator sport, at least not to the uh, those who are outside of the super engaged core. Uh, other spectators are going to want like a moment to catch their breath, a moment to reflect on what just happened. A spot between, like if this is being televised, a spot in between for production to show a replay of something that happened in the match. A spot for analysis by announcers or something like that. And I don't know what you would think uh, of... Um, if you were competing and someone said, okay, wait, there's a like a minute cooldown timer between matches. Hey, it's fair for everybody. I mean, if it's going to happen, it's happening to both you guys. So I guess that's just the... Just, just so long as it's even? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, so I, I wanted to bring up something else. I mean, I know I'm going to be... You brought me on as a guest, so you, you pr- pretty much have to realize I'm going to be talking about fighting games a lot. Oh, yeah. But, uh, so an interesting question came up recently, and... Uh, how do you feel about opposing uh, opposing peripherals um, as opposed to sitting next to each other? So, you know, i.e. Japan style versus North America. You mean like how uh, a lot of Japanese arcade cabinets will have two completely different cabinets so you're not sitting Precisely. next to you each other? You're actually... Um, yeah. I would say that... I mean, for me as a player, it doesn't really matter either way. Like, I right. think when you're... Uh, standing right next to each other, it's a bit more chummy, and you can uh, uh, like it, it's more conducive to being playing with a friend. Um, yeah. But I, for me, I don't think it would impact me competitively one way or the other. Yeah, I, I've had arguments where people say, "Oh, well, then you can you can tell that he's trying to you know mash out a dragon punch." Ah, uh, that's an interesting know? point. Right, but then you get into that secondary mind game where you're like, I'm mashing a dragon punch, but actually I'm going to block right when I get up. So you think I'm going to wake up with a dragon punch, you know? <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's a fascinating 
uh, difference. That's an interesting point, and that could be something like uh, the difference of uh, 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 National League versus American League baseball, or you know, some of these just slight rule differences between different organizations or different hosting or governing agencies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, at the Co-op Cup uh, this past weekend in Japan, they have a completely different style where they they go in team games. It's a three versus three versus three versus three, and they all pick a character. So you have Team Yoon against Team Chun-Li versus Team uh, Akuma, and it's like a little different than we handle things over here, but it's fascinating and it's interesting, and, and, and I feel like it's still unknown where, where we're headed as far as, you know, how the huh. Grand Nationals of this whole sport are going to go. Yeah, and so, yeah, there's a bunch of different, again, going to, like, rules and making sure these are understandable to the audience. I mean, wh- when you were describing that, it, it sounds like it's not the same thing, but similar to a game mode in, obviously, I'm going to talk about Tekken, uh, <laughs> where you'd have two players and each player picks, like, uh, eight different characters, and then they have matches. I, I don't remember if they're one round oh, or two. Wow. Yeah, it's one round. It's one mm. round. And essentially, you're running on one life meter. And when one character gets knocked out, you go to the next one. But all the damage on the other one stays when you go to the next round. So, I mean, that's another interesting wrinkle. I mean, that would be like, say, I, and I'm just going to say Daigo's name because uh, he's the one that I know. Say Daigo is, is just really awesome with say ken and ryu and he'd beat anybody straight up with those characters but if he's forced to use eight different characters there's other people who have the variety that it takes to topple him uh and and so it'd be like okay you're a great sprinter are you a good relay runner (laughs) so all right so that brings me to my next thing uh so I noticed that a lot of my favorite players in Street Fighter um, are the players that are kind of show loyalty towards a character. So you'll have a guy like Snake Eyes, for example. Uh, he just plays Zangief. That's all he plays. And he has bad matchups, and they're terrible. But sometimes he wins those. Actually, more than half the times he wins those. And when he wins those, everybody in the crowd that is a Snake Eyes fan just gets crazy because mm-hmm. these character loyalists is like a whole different aspect of the game. I mean, <laughs> you also have people like Infiltration who can pick, who knows, eight different characters easily and, and can treat that character as their main character. And they're very tough to beat, a very tough challenger, uh, opponent to beat. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, it's like Pink playing favoritism towards uh, the game itself, uh, you know, characters that are within the game. And I, I'm sorry, I don't really know where I'm going with that. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, there's, there's, I mean, even from my point of view, we're, we're kind of digging into a lot of interesting possibilities that uh, this medium as a, as a competition right. uh, or a, 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 a spectator sport can hold because right. I mean, if, if we, we've got to that, as you said, EVO is at a point where it's at that critical mass where it can't contain itself as just the one big show. Everyone has to come here because this is the big one. Yeah. We're past that. So now we're at a point where, okay, it's not just everyone gets together and plays. What can we do with it? We've got some mm-hmm. breathing room here. So, yeah. like, you, you were discussing that, and my mind kind of went back to the, the, the Tekken sort of team match setup, and I was thinking, you know what would also be interesting here is if you had, 
like drafting psychology in this? Like, how would you set up picking the teams? Would it all be at once? Or would you like submit your team list? Or would like there be a coin toss? One person picks first, the next person picks two, and then the first person picks two. And you're trying to jockey for favorable matchups. I, I mean, just that mechanic itself uh, is uh, counterpicking is a thing. Yeah. And, oh, I'm sure. You know, and it's kind of to the point where it's like, do you allow counterpicking or do you not? And currently right now they do. Um, you don't get the counterpick if you just won the last fight. And that's how that that runs right now. And, um, and, and, really, and, and you, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm fun. sorry to cut you off, but, uh, the, this kind of brings up another point, like the idea of counterpicking. What about, you know, their, their fighting games. I mean, the, unless you're going to have every character be the exact same, there has to be some degree of imbalance and that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> well, being but... in QA, I think we, we both understand that it's impossible to balance 30 oh, people of course. to be exactly fair against each opposing po- opponent. Of course, right? of course. But, <laughs> but it brings up an interesting question because in, you know, again, comparing it to normal physical sport, which at the moment has to be our template to look at if we're going to try to become a spectator sport because it is the spectator sport. Looking at that, any imbalance can be attributed to the player or or the environment or so it's it's something that can be discreetly measured and accounted for and trained against or for or to improve and that isn't there the same way in fighting games because yeah. you will have say <laughs> who's going to go into EVO using Dan Dan Hibiki, you know, it's, and if they, if they not do, in six, I, you know what, I'd pay to see it, so <laughs> maybe I. not a lot, but I'd pay. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see Dan take it, but the upset that that would create, I can't even imagine. Hey, you know what, Marvel versus Capcom 2, Dan has the highest damaging move in the game, you can use that, oh, all, kind, all kinds of little tricks. Awesome. Yep, uh, there's a there's another. I forget which game it was. It, it might have been one of the alpha games, but he also has the highest priority move in the game. When he does his Koryuken and he flashes white, uh, he's invulnerable for that frame, which makes that de- by default the highest priority move in the game. So so check it out. Um, Street Fighter Five. It's on its way out. I mean, we're we're looking at four weeks away from this game. I can't tell you how much I'm sitting on the edge of my seat for this. Um, this is going to be the first game that Capcom is going to release that is not going to have any follow-ups. There's not going to be a Super Street Fighter V. There's not going to be an Ultra Street Fighter V Turbo. <laughs> um, it's going to be one game, and they're going to have live updates continuously to, can, to keep a, a balance for everyone. Uh, there's no more old-school balance patches, which originally what were the, the reasons to have so many sequels to a Street Fighter game is because they wanted to rebalance it and try to make it so you could fight Sagat versus E Honda didn't feel like your character had an unfair advantage. So that's kind of why Street Fighter is sort of the staple fighting game in the in the space because I feel like it had the most balance changes uh, mm. for each um, subsequent sequel. Um, but Street Fighter Five is on a different thing. This game is all pointed towards esports, and they want this game to be very very uh, favored by anyone who's spectating and playing for the, for the esport you know aspect of it. And it's that, that, definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, uh, when you were saying that, I was chuckling because I was thinking, yeah, they kind of said the same thing for Street Fighter Four, and then you continued and explained that 
it's going to be updates and because Street Fighter Force follow-up titles were actual packaged releases rather than version updates. So, you know, I can respect that Um, Mm -hmm. and and we'll see how well they can stick to it. But uh, yeah, if it's if it's basically just, you know, pay and, and you're effectively getting your software license for Street Fighter and then you have everything after that, then, you know, so, uh, hopefully good good on them. You'll find this interesting because you come from the mobile space. But uh, So the way they're planning on doing it is you can have in-game currency that you accumulate and you can purchase new characters, i.e. Urian, Alex, uh, the first day one characters that you can get. You can actually get them by playing the game for an extensive period of time and, and get, getting this currency. Oh, Urian's going to be in five? Absolutely. He's already been announced, sir. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm surprised we didn't hear, I, I didn't hear uh, Jeff shouting in triumph with that one. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, Jeff, someone we we uh, collectively know. Um, but yeah, uh, um, I, I, yeah I, I, uh, I'll just sit so, back so, and kind of so hope fun. for Gil, but uh, I, I don't know. I just find Gil interesting. <laughs> Hey, we'll, we'll see where the story goes, man. This game takes place uh, right before a third strike, so we'll see how the story takes place. Because um, so God knows it can't be in any kind of sensical order. <laughs> of course not. I don't even want to reiterate to you the order in which the Street Fighter series takes place. <laughs> I don't know it off the top of my head. However, uh, um, so as I was explaining about the in-game currency system to unlock these characters, they're also going to have a season pass type of situation where you can pay i don't know 30 40 bucks and you get everything unlocked to you uh, the day it comes out so those are the two options that capcom's given us which is interesting it kind of kind of plays for both parties you know i was the kind of person that was not a fan of paying extra money for a new costume in street fighter 4 when back in my day old grandpa dj when i could just press a different button and get a different color for my character and that was my color you know so Mm. it was hard for me to actually get on board with the idea of you're going to be purchasing different colors and costumes and uh i wasn't happy but hey that's the way the industry's going so i'm glad they're kind of uh kind of you know making a stab at making it fair for both parties you know Mm -hmm. okay so uh another thing that that's really important to consider for any kind of spectator sport and Uh, I'm sure you have plenty to say about this. We've had some some discussion about it, is the announcing. Mm. And one one point that I've made is that eSports or or game competition happens very, very fast, particularly in fighting games, whereas in physical sports, stick-and-ball sport, combat sport, it's inherently limited by the speed that a person's body can move, whereas faints and transitions and other little transitional moments or or any kind of thing in uh, a video game can happen as fast as you just your thumb can move or your hand if you're using a uh, an arcade stick um, but really it's about as fast as you can think so it's a lot harder for an announcer to convey a play-by-play when things are going by that quickly yeah, I think we're being challenged by the medium in which is our, our game and what is our, our platform. I mean, if you think back at uh, when baseball came out, uh, baseball came out in the time of radio. It is a stat-driven sport. Um, there's a lot of dead time. where You can relay stats to a person. The person can get interested just by listening to it. Then you fast forward to football. Football's a TV sport. 
it's advertisements, it's replays. There's lots of downtime where they can show you different, you know, different things and give you different information. And I think we're just heading on to the next, the next platform. I mean, if you look at Twitch chat or YouTube gaming chat, it goes so fast. How can you even see what's going on? But yet people love it and they're engaged. And they read the one split second chat of someone saying something hilarious. Hmm. And I think we're, we're kind of getting into an era where we're, I think we're looking at these shoutcasters, or what is what they're called in the fighting game community, as halfway between telling us what's going on and and just trying to do their best. Because I mean, it, like you said, it's a very fast thing, and I'm not sure what you can do is as far as picking apart each and everything. You really can't do that. So it's about finding how you're going to announce a sport. And I think we're still on our path of trying to really figure that out, honestly. Yeah. That. that- you know that's that's an interesting observation you put in there too about uh, um, sports kind of gearing themselves to their medium, mm-hmm. to, to their 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 broadcast medium, uh, and there there may not exactly be a concrete answer, but that's a little bit similar to the question of is it art imitating life or life imitating art? It's a little <laughs> bit difficult to to single out what influences affect what changes uh, in those. So. With uh, video games as spectator sport is our perceptions of what we want when we want it broadcast to us. Is is this all a change that's happening? Like the shift from uh, like newspaper uh, yeah. reports to radio to television. Are we now in a, an even faster mode? Or are yeah, we at a point yeah. where there's a breaking point and it, it's simply the transmission for a general audience because that's the other question here again is is the hardcore super engaged people versus a general audience is that the difference here so so is this going to be go on yeah yeah i I was going to bring this back around to to the mlg acquisition um so you know i guess the whole point is they want to start broadcasting major league gaming events on public television they want to that cable television, that's going to be... Broadcast television, what you're trying to say. Right, right, right. And I mean, I, and if you look at it, I, I actually mentioned this on my Twitter a while ago, but if you look at this, I kind of picture it like, a, like a, a, a Venn diagram. You know, you have people that are, you have one bubble, which is people that are interested in watching competitive video games. And then in the other bubble, you have people that are willing to pay for expensive TV cable packages. And I would say that people that fall in the middle of those two circles are pretty slim. I mean, I... <laughs> okay, okay. Let me let me ask you a question, though, mm-hmm. with that premise. You say the people who are interested in watching it yeah. versus the people who pay for cable television. Mm-hmm. What about the people who could be interested? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> so that's what kind of brings you back around to the whole Rocket League thing. <laughs> right. So I feel like a game such as Rocket League can really uh, grab an audience that isn't aware of what's going on underneath their feet. <sighs> Man, that's a hard question to follow up, Nick. There's, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot going on in video games. I think that's something else we're unaware of. You know, there's very simplistic games, there's old school games, and there's complicated games, and there's new games, and it's just growing, and it's. And that and that 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 even hits on another challenge that. Uh, video games as spectator sport has which is do you keep running on the old games do you upgrade to a new game what happens when you start fragmenting the audience that's I another mean, people, problem 
people are still playing Smash Brothers Melee on N64. That's a legitimate game at Evo, and that's not. And it's all they do is put in the new Smash Brothers, but they just keep that one rolling. You know, same with Third Strike, and in some cases Street Fighter Two. And it's like, geez, that game is almost. 30 years old at this point, you know, but you have a crowd and I, what is, what's going to happen with that? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> oh man. If there was an N64 game that was being competitive, why couldn't it be no mercy? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, there's a lot going on and a lot to I, figure I, out. I just want to put this out there oh, for sure. anyone listening to this podcast or finds this podcast 10 years later in the crypt. Look up Nick and challenge him in No Mercy, and just good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm and and here's the funny thing: uh, I'm not the best player I've ever seen by a fairly wide margin. David Vona, if you're out there, I know you're better than me, and he didn't even practice. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Uh, so YouTube has uh, has a gaming uh, streaming thing now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's, so they're uh, trying to compete with t- Twitch. Yeah, I think that's the idea there. I think YouTube. I'm not entirely sure, but it looks like YouTube is kind of trying to make sure they stay relevant and profitable, along with all like uh, you know YouTube Gaming, YouTube Red subscription service, and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not entirely sure what to make of all of that but that that's also kind of a different topic there sure, uh, sure. but but it it, uh, it still goes to show that this is a segment that is big it is growing it's so big where so where is the ceiling is it near is it far i don't know but a lot of people are interested in investing in it and they think the perception is that it's going to be much, much bigger than it is even now. And that would kind of explain why, if it's going to be much, much bigger than it is now, and Activision, which seems to be in a bit of an acquisition mode after buying King, and and they could get Major League oh, yeah. Gaming that cheap, relatively speaking, and they can get in the ground floor. And, now, uh, let me ask you this. Sure. So now that... Um, so now that MLG is acquired by Activision, are they going to push their own personal IPs as the trend-setting things? Or are they going to accept other IPs as something in the, into, their, into their system, you know? Because they control a lot of competitive gaming IPs, and I can see mm-hmm. them trying to monopolize that. Right. I mentioned that a little bit earlier with the with the idea that they were this is them trying to force Call of Duty into the competitive ah. gaming space. But... I think that while they may give some preferential favor to their uh, preferred uh, projects, mm. primarily I'm look I'm I'm suspecting Hearthstone and Heroes of the Storm. Mm. Uh, after that, though, if they're going to honestly look at this as a a proper business venture a- instead of just an advertising wing, then they will give proper consideration to all possible. Uh, 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 applicants, you could say, or venues, essentially any other game that is appropriate to compete in, they should consider it. Now, only time will tell if that's what they do, but if it comes across as, oh, this is just the Activision Championship for Activision games, and they're limiting themselves, unless they wind up 
somehow managing to brand themselves as this is competitive gaming, yeah. then it, it, it won't work that way, and it'll come off come across as uh, uh, insincere or ingenuine. Right. And yeah. so, if it, uh, to to kind of underscore that point. If they're limiting themselves, then they're limiting the appeal that they can have to people who want to watch other games, who are fans of players who don't play Activision games. And that's just bad business to shrink your audience unnecessarily. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I hope they don't take that route because people are going to go digging and find the stuff that they want to watch. I mean, could could they wind up doing it? They absolutely could wind up doing it. I'm just saying I think that would be stupid. (laughs) Sure, sure. Um, another thing that's blowing this whole thing out of, uh, blowing this whole thing up really big is, uh, is sponsorships. Um, you know, before we had companies like Razer, the gaming company, they make fancy mice and keyboards and stuff. They were getting in it and they started making, uh, like joysticks and keyboard, uh, and, uh, uh, whatever. What am I, what am I thinking of here? Uh, whatever. They make peripherals, right? Yeah. So, um, and so they, they, they were starting to, to endorse these players, but now you're seeing companies like Red Bull and they just got into it. And there's a couple of Red Bull sponsored players now and Red Bull's hmm. even ho- hosting their own video game tournaments called the Kumite. And, uh, and this is their second year doing that. And that's getting kind of big. So that I find that kind of fascinating. Yeah. So it'll be, it, 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 it sounds like there's just so much going on that it's, Almost like weeds growing. That has a negative connotation, so that's not really what I mean. But just like there's stuff sprouting up all over the place, and mm. eventually we're going to wind up with this tying together somehow. It'll be interesting to see what shape it takes. Definitely, um, I agree. Okay, so another is uh, huh? what I kind of see for the Activision acquisition is them trying to take Major League Gaming and improve a lot of their presentation. This this is just my guess, but, you know, take it for what you will. Invest in it. Improve their distribution channels. Improve their presentation. uh, Maybe do stuff like give them the replays that we'd like to see. uh, Figure out how to get better announcing going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just people shouting, but people who can... Find out a way to convey to the audience what's going on and use this as an opportunity to expand their audience because anyone who really wants to get make their game a competitive game, they want to do it so that more people would be interested in buying their game. I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to in the end. Now, there may be some distribution deals deals going on with like, okay, if you're going to use our game, you're going to give us a bit of royalty. I don't know what the business on the back end of that is. I don't know if you have any insight into that. I mean, not really. I mean, I, I, uh, I can yeah, only, the, yeah, I can only yeah. say that, uh, I, yeah, I got nothing for that. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> fine. I mean, that that's, that's pretty far removed from any of our uh, uh, fields of view on this. But other than that, like, the, the goal is to expand your audience. You always want to expand your audience. And right. this looks like a way to try to make some game as a competition more of a household item, you might say, to be able to appeal to those people who might be interested in watching in that Venn diagram you mentioned earlier. The sure, people sure. Who, who watch in this thing who could be 
taught to be interested in this and of those people who could be taught to be interested let's say of let's just make some random numbers out of 100 million people in the united states who the uh, the who watch cable tv regularly watch sports on cable tv that of those you could get 10 percent, so 10 million people to watch games and these are people these are outside of your normal user your normal players and super engaged users in those so these are all new customers or new viewers and of those you could have 10 percent who are interested enough to pick up a copy of the game that's one million more sales that's not bad yeah if if and i suspect that's kind of what they're looking at here um Mm -hmm. because you can have games that have stupefyingly expensive advertising campaigns i i've i've written before about um uh i i know i mentioned alien isolations advertising campaign uh how expensive that must have been because there were billboards all over the place or you know clash of clans has an advertising campaign that must be in the tens hundreds of millions of dollars that they spend on that because you know you got buses all over the world plastered you got tv commercials you got a super bowl commercial with liam neeson (laughs) holy cow they they air them in movie theaters before the movie starts it's all over the place that is not cheap that is stupefyingly expensive and they have big hollywood stars in them i mean this is some of the biggest advertising campaigns i've ever seen in a video game i think it might Mm. be the biggest advertising campaign i've ever seen for any video game this is just earth-shattering amounts of money yeah Um, Yeah. and if you can somehow you look at activision they bought mlg for 4.43 million i think it was somewhere in that range that is so much less and if you can actually 46 million i was pretty close that was pretty close um, cause I'm just running off my memory. I didn't have it written down in front of me or anything. Um, but, uh, although I almost said 4.3 million, that was totally wrong. Um, uh, it's, uh, it, you can look at this trying to get on the ground floor of this growing thing. And not only that, people are probably looking at this as a generational shift. Um, mm-hmm. not necessarily that people are going to be leaving old sports behind, although they're, some people might suspect stuff with all of the head trauma stuff going on in in football that that might be showing some cracks for cultural dominance. Definitely. Who knows what the future will bring. But if younger people are getting more engaged in games in this spectator way... Sorry, my dog. All right. Anyway, go ahead, continue. Okay, so if more, more players are getting more engaged in this spectator way and Activision can get in early and start shaping the development of this and become their own sort of, you know, cultural cornerstone of this institution that is spectator video game sport, eSport, whatever term you choose to prefer. You know, that could be worth a lot, and they got in possibly very cheap. So I want to just, I want to, I want to just point us in this direction, and I I do want to say... The reason I'm into watching Street Fighter, and, and I'm not interested in watching too many other games um, frequently at all, unless it's like a top, a top four in some game, and I just want to see what high-level gameplay looks like. The reason I'm interested in watching Street Fighter at all is because I play it. 
And, and I think what we're going to start to see in the future, and we're definitely starting to see, we saw a little bit in four with the training system, but we're going to see a lot more in five, is the integration of simplified mechanics. Mm. I think what we're going to find is, so in the new Killer Instinct season, pa- uh, season pack that's coming up, is you're able to hit combos with any face button as long as you do the D-pad um, motion correctly. And mm. so that's getting new players into understanding how this whole, the whole system works in general, because without understanding really or feeling how the system works, it's hard to be involved in it in that way, at least in my opinion. Yeah, that, that would be another prong in this uh, uh, appeal to the general audience. Mm-hmm. I know that there are some commentators out there that uh, uh, sort of uh, deride the idea of trying to appeal to a wider audience. Um there are plenty of bad examples of attempts at that and uh, uh, very cynical attempts that developers and publishers have made to do that. But yeah. the core concept of doing that, there's nothing wrong with it and it can only help to, I mean, success, uh, uh, it, the way to success is to have a big tent policy. You know, if you're buying, we're selling. Let's try to appeal to anyone we can. But one of the other things of that is you got to let them know what you got. You got to, and that's why advertising exists yeah. in part is you know to to um, uh, make make sure people are aware of what's out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. I mean, if you went out and bought yourself a Hellcat Challenger and it did, you didn't know that on paper it said it had seven hundred and seven horsepower, you probably would never understand that it had that much without looking at the stats on paper. You know, like no one's going to go out there in the real world and experience that 707 horsepower <laughs> unless you're a very few that's actually taking it to the track or whatever. Yeah, or, you know, would would people, you know, go out and, and look for something with 700 horsepower? Um, yeah. So, and, yeah. and I'm sure that other people are interested in... Um, I mean, I, I was just describing the whole thing as advertising for the game itself, but uh, if you can hit another critical mass point then the the broadcast and distribution ha the broadcast and distribution of the events themselves will generate more revenue and it sounds like evo as a as a contained event is doing some of that itself already otherwise it wouldn't be able to sustain itself to this point i would presume mm-hmm. um but it, it, you know just being able to make it grow you know some of that is going to take things like, you know, advertising revenue. And you have sponsorships, like you said. Although that 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 makes me think of something else, you know. Another th- another thing is, and, and something like this might exist, but say um, a, a Daigo-branded The Beast game controller by Razer that you can buy. It's got his name on it or face yeah. on it or whatever, or, you know, and uh, uh, printed on the back or, or on the faceplate of your control sticks is... Uh, is uh, him parrying uh, Chun Li Super or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think we kind of already see some of that stuff. Um, there's already um, there's already there's already names and labels on on you know given peripherals, and people already are starting to do that. My question for you, Nick, is how long before I'm watching this on on <laughs> satellite cable or or what have you? You know, like how far are we from this thing? It's evolving so fast. And the space is evolving so fast, and I, I can't imagine personally that we're even more any more than five years away from this becoming like a global phenomenon. Really, I think I, I would say 
mm, five years you might start seeing something uh, because there's all these logistical problems that we've been talking about. Some of those need to get settled. You might see some early tendrils out there, some people with really ambitious experiments before yeah. those get settled, and those will might go out there, but they'll probably get swatted down by the market because these problems haven't been figured out yet. Um, yeah. But once that happens, and they'll, they'll just judging by the number of iterations that happen, you know, if there's one Evo a year, well, then, you know, you know, five years will give you five iterations. That sounds about right for being able to figure out not only the scale, you've got the scale, you've got the presentation, you've got the distribution, you've got the marketing and trying to appeal to the, the, that, you know, coveted general audience. Yeah. Um, somewhere around there, you might start to see small, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just, I, I don't even watch ESPN. I, I want to say that some recaps of big tournaments might happen there, uh, or some, uh, yeah. small small things get televised but yeah. they don't really make much splash they're like you know 3 a.m <laughs> uh, you know the the world strongman competition gets more preferable right. uh spots Fun, in the time funny slot. you mention that because the only thing that got televised on espn from the last evo championship was the moment where and and i forget his name but the guy forgot that there was another round, and he uh, put down the sticks and raised his arm, arms up like he won, and then the, the other guy beat him. And that that's didn't he take his shirt off too? I remember that. <laughs> that was a different moment, but any anyhow, but uh, you yeah. know, I mean that that in of its in and of itself shows some promise. I mean, it it's kind yeah. of an an embarrassing thing, <laughs> to to be perfectly honest. But you know, it it shows that it's at least on the radar, and you're because they're looking for things that are interesting to show on their digest show, right? And so, on the radar is something interesting in a video game competition. You know, yeah, yeah, they, they, they may not, yeah. they may not care, they, they may not find who won as interesting as this strange moment. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's it's on the radar, and uh, uh, you'll probably see some more of that. And one again, general audience presentation type thing. One of the reasons you don't see more of it is because people aren't quite, quite figure out what they're looking at. I mean, I wouldn't mind. I'm in the same position with you with MOBAs. I, I wouldn't really know what I'm looking at. I mean, I yeah. want to try playing Heroes of the Storm because I've heard that's more welcoming to new players and other ones are not very welcoming to new players. Yeah. But uh, just, just so that I can understand the genre better other than a broad understanding of what's going on. Um, but uh, uh, would anyone there be able to watch because because it even sounds like this would be uh, a, a pretty good spectator event i mean you said they have big stadiums for this in korea so mm -hmm. clearly there's some good spectator material here mm -hmm. uh, well, but, I think but the the audience has to understand what's going on so there has to be some ground level yeah, I think what's the, going on here. the problem is every single person in that stadium knows exactly what's going on. It's so ingrained into their pop culture. It's nothing like what we have over here. And unfortunately, what I think is starting to sway people's decisions into getting into this is how big the pot is getting now. Um, the payouts for some of these events are getting absolutely ludicrous if you want to just look at it from I'm playing the video game aspect, right? <laughs> but... Um, it's getting that the pot is getting bigger. Um, you know, payouts are getting larger. People are walking away. 
even in third place with what was first place two years ago. Um, there's a lot of money being thrown into these things. And, uh, you know, that, that's definitely no secret. There's a lot of people aware that the next year's Capcom Cup is going to be over 500000 because uh, this year's was that, and the year before that wasn't even 100000 So who can imagine where this is really going to go? Yeah, and, and uh, you said, unfortunately... Uh, which which I kind of understand the sentiment that, that people might be kind of getting into it for not the purest reasons, but uh, you know, I mean, whatever brings you to the table. Sure. I mean, sure. if if people aren't bankrupting themselves to put up the pots and it's expanding the the competition base or the audience, then you know that's there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I agree. Yeah. So yeah. Um. I think that goes over most of what I wanted to talk about this. Did you have anything, yeah. any other points you wanted to hit? Well, that was, I guess that was just about it. Um, definitely interested if you want to, uh, you know, in a, in a future episode, bring me back for just like a Street Fighter related thing. I'm sure I can dive super deep into that again. Um, but this was a, a great experience and it was great talking to you. Uh, thanks, sure. thanks a lot for having me on. That was great. Yeah. And uh, uh, before we sign off, I, I, I apologize. I I didn't give you any uh, forewarning for this, but uh, my uh, my policy is for new guests uh, for your first time on to uh, tell us an interesting or amusing anecdote for your from your time in uh, the production behind the production line of. Uh, oh, uh, in your case, it's going to be video games. So, um, <laughs> if you can think of some particularly weird or quirky story. Uh, I'm sure we'd love to hear it. Oh, man. All right. Let's think here. Uh, so, <sighs> so my first contract in the gaming industry, um, I was uh, I was a part of a commuter plan and uh, was going to help give somebody a ride home. He was this big, tough guy. And I was always kind of scared of him, but I got assigned to this guy. So I was like, whatever. I'm pretty personal or pers- uh, personable. So I'll just... Meet this guy, we'll have some conversations, and, uh, you know, it, it won't be a thing. And uh, I was driving home, and uh, at the time I was driving a little Honda Rice Rocket with no front license plate on it. That's a whole different story. But I got pulled over by a cop, <laughs> and uh, it was, the first, you know, simple, no front license plate. And um, I've got this fellow tester, game tester, in my passenger seat, and he's looking super tough. And the cop comes up to my, my window, and I'm looking, and I'm like, why is this guy looking so tough? And uh, she goes, hey, I just wanted to let you know that you didn't have a front license plate on. And I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. I'll, you know, I'll, get, I'll get that fixed. And she looks at my buddy, or not really my buddy, just this fellow tester at the time, and he's sitting there. And he's, it's, it's the dead of summer, and he's wearing two leather gloves for God knows what reason. And she looks over, and she's like, why are you wearing those gloves? And, and he looks over with the sternest face possible and goes, hitman status. And I look over, and I'm like, hitman status? Dude, I'm not your accomplice, man. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not getting questioned because of you. And she, you know, she gives him this look and kind of shakes it off. And it's just like, what are you trying to do, man? It's like, you're trying to get us questions for, like, you know, I don't know. Murder? <laughs> yeah. So you yeah, wind, up, you wind up in something like that episode of The Simpsons where they, uh, uh, Mr. Burns called in all the players and the cops. Uh, found one of them and is like, I heard you're from New York. I heard a man got killed in New York and they never found who did it. There's right. hundreds of unsolved murders in New York every year. And they just like put him in the jail. It's like, looks like we can close the case on every unsolved murder in New York. 
Yeah, man, exactly. So, of course, I, I've always thought about that. Like, what, Hitman status? Like, what was this guy trying to pull? But it always made me laugh, and that was my the first, like, legitimate person that I met in the gaming industry, like, off-duty. So, it was just like, what are we, what are we signing up for here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a madhouse, man. It can yeah, be a madhouse. The characters you meet. Oh, man. Yep, it's... Uh, it, Never a dull moment, and I, I don't think I'd want it any other way. Well, maybe, maybe you know, if if this is at a 9, maybe put it to an 8 or a 7, but same <laughs> axis. I'm fine with the axis. Oh, man, you're going to have to throw another podcast sometime with just, like, QA stories, man. I'm sure we'll have all kinds of stuff. <laughs> just, get a, just get a panel. Get, like, four of your best QA guys and, like, let's just rattle off this shit that we've seen. <laughs> I'm 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 sure there's just I'm I'm sure uh, my my friends in QA have plenty of stories that I haven't heard, and some of them are just going to be just astonishing. Um, Definitely, you know that the, the tales from the trenches under that comic they slowed down. Maybe we could just uh, fill it back up again. I don't know. There you go, man. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining me today, DJ. Yep. My pleasure. All right. Oh yeah, and I, I, I think we uh, uh, looked through a lot of interesting stuff here. It's uh, pretty educational for me. Definitely, and, and I'm, there's so much more to say. You know, the stuff that <laughs> fires into your mind after you look back at everything. You know, um, yeah, I'd definitely be happy to do this again. All right, cool. I'll put your name down on the list that I don't have. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sounds good, Nick. Thanks a lot. So, uh, yep, uh, everybody, thanks for. Thanks for tagging along with us, and uh, see me again for the next Behind the Line article next week, and join us again for the next Behind the Line radio two weeks from now. And, uh, yep, catch you all next time. See you guys later. Behind the Line Radio is presented by Enthusiacs.com. For more podcasts, Let's Plays, articles, videos, reviews, and more, visit us at Enthusiacs.com. Also, send us a comment on Twitter, at Enthusiacs. View us on YouTube, channel Enthusiacs, and like us on Facebook, Enthusiacs. Enthusiacs.